The year was 1971, the night before Thanksgiving. A middle-aged man, wearing sunglasses, wearing a suit and tie, walked into a Portland airport and bought a $20 ticket. It was a flight from Portland to Seattle. Witnesses say the middle-aged man walked to the back of the plane to the right. Sat down, looking stern and focused. After this, history is made. The mystery of D. B. Cooper in the actors' room. My name's Jeff Tarowski. Episode one twelve. Hope you enjoy this mystery show. One that I'm looking forward to. So sit back, relax, and here we go. How could a person jump from an airplane uh, with this stolen money tied around his waist and not know anything about him? Richard Tussauds says it may be 36 years old now, but there's no reason to give up on the mystery of D.B. Cooper. In fact, this 83-year-old Modesto lawyer and former FBI agent is so sure the mystery is solvable, he spent years researching it. That includes traveling to the Washington State side of the Columbia River to search for Cooper's remains. The plane Cooper hijacked flew over that spot in 1972. I get a kick out of it. It's a hobby. It's been an expensive hobby. Tussauds' work has been chronicled in many newspapers, and he estimates it's cost him fifty thousand dollars of his own money. But he calls himself a single man with no children and says he can afford it. So what does he think happened to Cooper? Well, he'll tell you, but he says it may not be what you want to hear. People do not want to believe that Cooper drowned. They, he's become a folk hero, and they want to think that he was very clever. He's having a ball in Mexico, using this money to enjoy himself. But this investigator believes Cooper's remains wound up in the sand along the banks of the Columbia River. He says the man's big gamble probably did not pay off. In Modesto, Shadokina Shams, KCRA three reports. And you may recall there was a man in the Panhandle of Florida several years ago, just before his death, told his wife that he was D.B. Cooper. But he forgot to tell her where he buried the money. Then it's never been verified. By the way, the search for answers in this case of D.B. Cooper is the stuff that movies are made of. In fact, in 1981, Treat Williams and Robert Duvall starred in the movie called The Pursuit of D.B. Cooper. And in 2004, a comedy called Without a Paddle follows three friends who go on a canoe trip in search of D.B. Cooper's stash. So, what do you think? Alive or did he not make it? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't either. There are many people out there. Who truly believe, with all of their heart, with all of their soul, that they truly know, without a shadow of a doubt, who D.B. Cooper really is or was. There can only be one D.B. Cooper, right? Just one, and there are several suspects, good ones, that check boxes and the like. The mystery of D.B. Cooper 
put out by HBO 2020, just last year. We're going to talk about the doc. I saw it a week ago, and it intrigued me to look into this story again. This is one of the most fascinating and mysterious stories of the century. And if you don't know about D.B. Cooper, and you're going to hear it from my show, that's great. But if you do know about D.B. Cooper and his story, I hope you enjoy this show. And I want your opinions on this. Go to the comments section, go to Facebook, the webpage, whatever it takes. Just to have a conversation, a heated or nice conversation about who you feel is the best suspect or did he make it at all are you on the side that this guy did not survive the jump and hey i'm going to tell you right off the bat if i were to make a bet in vegas i mean a gun to my head and someone said to me you have to make a bet if you're to put the money on the table what would you say Happened to D.B. Cooper that night, 1971, the night before Thanksgiving. And if I were to put money down, I'd say he didn't make it. I'd say he succumbed. I mean, it was at night that this guy decided to jump out of a 727. And I hear the weather was shitty. Rain, mist, high winds, bad visibility, and a tough terrain below. The chances of this man actually surviving are slim. But there is that chance that, I don't know, that certain something. That when you hear the story, you go, I hope and pray he made it. Folks, they never found a body. They never found his parachute. All that was found was $5,800 of the $200,000 that he jumped out of the plane with that night. And they found it nine years after the incident. We're going to talk about the doc. We're going to talk about D.B. Cooper. We're going to discuss all of the suspects. The big ones that they mention in the doc. And then I'm going to give my opinion that if this man survived that night. Of who I think did it. And this is if he survived the jump. The tough terrain. All the shit. And we're hoping he did. Am I right? That would suck. That if he he died that night. It just makes the story boring. Doesn't it? We want this guy to make it. He's a folk hero. In some sections of the world. People look upon D.B. Cooper. And they smile. They're rooting for him. He stuck it. To people. To whoever he was sticking it to. We go. Wow, buddy, what a brave thing you did. And you got away with it. What a guy, right? But you have to look at it from another angle. 
this lunatic, and he was a lunatic, anybody that would attempt what he did is a bit nutty. But it's an interesting story. So like I said, I hope you enjoyed the show. My name's Jeff. Sit back. Enjoy the show. Uh, I hope you follow along with me talking about the doc, all the other suspects, and then the guy I think did it in the end of my episode. And I wonder if it's your suspect. Because you know the people out there that know this story, they have that guy. They like as a suspect. They've looked at the case. They've done some research. They've looked up all these suspects and went, I think it's that guy. (laughs) I think it is. So let's see if you and I have the same suspect. I'm interested to know. So here we go. Talking about the mystery of D.B. Cooper done by HBO. Here we go. In the doc, they give us a bit of history about plane travel, air travel in that time period, 1971. A lot of skyjacking or hijacking was going on at this time. Political disturbances, uh, people wanting to be flown to different countries to make a point politically. It was a bit of a dangerous time for air travel. And those who boarded the plane, whether they were going somewhere or worked for the airline, were certainly putting themselves in a risky position. For air travel in 1971 was a bit risky. So here you have around this time where it isn't like today. A lot has changed since then, especially airport security. And think about this. They didn't have metal detectors back then. They didn't have people looking through your shit. It actually was a nice, (laughs) a nice experience. As opposed to today, I think that air travel for me is filled with anxiety. And someone who suffers from anxiety can be very easily, uh, not disturbed, but just dismayed. About what it takes to travel by the air. For those who are afraid to fly. This only heightens the experience. But back in 1971. You didn't have to worry about that stuff. You could walk up to the counter. Just like D.B. Cooper did. That night. Buy a ticket. With cash. Walk through the airport. Not having anybody ask you questions. Go right up to the gate. Give them your ticket and get on the plane. I mean, I remember when I was a kid in the 80s. We would take family members to the airport, see them off. You know, goodbye, dad. Good luck on your trip. Or your aunt and uncle. Take a vacation. You drive them to the airport. Back then, you can walk with them to the gate. Say goodbye to them. Give them a kiss. You can see them get on the plane, leave the gate, go to that big window, and see them leave the runway. And it was cool. I mean, I remember that. It was kind of neat to go to the airport and see family members, you know, just depart and go somewhere exotic. Or just go to somewhere like Buffalo. (laughs) 
Can't do that now, huh? No, if you don't have a ticket, you see them off at the metal detector. I mean, can you even go to the metal detector? I don't know. I, I don't travel much. I travel by air once every 10 years. But back in 1971, hardly any security. You could actually smoke on the plane back then. And D.B. Cooper did. And by the way, D.B. Cooper, that's not the name he put down that night. The man that walked up to the desk to buy his ticket wrote the name Dan Cooper, not D.B. D.B. was actually a mistake done by the press in a newspaper talking about the situation. They put D.B. Cooper. It was never changed. They felt it was catchy. And you know what? They're right. The fucking press. Goes to show you, once again, how the press can change things. We all know it is D.B. Cooper, don't we? D.B.'s catchy. I started my show talking about D.B., not Dan. (laughs) But the press could definitely change the narrative. I mean, they did in this case, didn't they? D.B. sounds a little more sexier than Dan. What we really should be talking about is the mystery of Dan Cooper, not DB. (laughs) I like things like that. So Dan Cooper is a name he used. And we'll get to the end when I talk about who I think did it and why he picked that name. And there's a reason why. There's got to be, right? He could have pulled it out of his ass right there and then, right? Standing up there going, all right. I haven't really thought about what name I'm going to use. Dan Cooper. (laughs) John Wilson. I don't know. It could be that simple. Did he use his real name? Doubtful. (laughs) So let's get back to the dock. Also in the dock. They express how stewardesses or flight attendants... Had to look sexy back then. They even have a commercial. Back in 1971. Of a stewardess. Walking down the aisle. With drinks. Whatever. And as she walks by. Two businessmen. Turn around. Check her out. And there you go. Folks. We've come a long way since then. Haven't we? It wasn't that long ago though. 1971. For some of you. 1971, you can't even imagine it. It feels like a hundred lifetimes ago. We've come a long way. In the dock, one of the stewardesses who is still alive today said that the airline would fire you if you got pregnant. That's how serious they were. Those flight attendants, they had to look good. That was important. 1971, the people who flew mostly were businessmen. Hmm, interesting stuff. So there's a little background about the time period, uh, the, the social interactions, and just the way people viewed the airline and the world around them. 
And I think that plays into the story too. You have to think about the time period. This didn't happen last week. This happened 50 years ago. That's right. It's the 50-year anniversary of the D.B. Cooper incident. So yeah, it was a bit ago. I'm in my 40s. So this happened before I was born. But I remember in the 80s, watching a show called Unsolved Mysteries with Robert Stack. My favorite show. It scared me, but we all like that little scary thing about shows. The intrigue, the mystery. And Robert Stack was great. In the D.B. Cooper case, I mean, Unsolved Mysteries. It, it made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. And my cousin even mentioned it to me, I think it was about a year ago. He's like, hey, do you remember that D.B. Cooper case? I still think about it from time to time. And I go, yeah, me too. I check up on new stuff, clues, new information, new suspects every now and then just to check up on the story thinking, have they solved it or are they close? Is there that bit of evidence they haven't checked out yet that in time now we're so better at forensics? We'll find it. We'll study it. We'll put it under a fucking microscope and go, by God, it's John Smith. We got him. He's dead. But we know who it is. And the mystery will be solved. And now we could put a face to who this guy was. Because right now, it's just a mysterious face. That sketch that we know of D.B. Cooper. That, that face with the sunglasses. And then there's a sketch without the sunglasses. Like we're actually taking a look at the man. So let's get on the plane. You and I together jumping back in time to 1971. And we walk right behind Mr. Cooper onto the plane. We watch him go to the back and to the right and sit his ass down. And he looks stern, focused, but weird. He's got sunglasses on. Although he has a suit and tie, which is very common for that time, he's wearing sunglasses. It's nighttime, and he's on a plane. You don't need sunglasses unless you're blind or are trying to hide something. So he is gaining a bit of interest from people on the plane. This is a 30-minute flight, short flight, from Seattle to Portland. So at the beginning of the flight, I mean, as the plane just took off, The first thing they do is take drink orders. And that's what they did. The flight attendant approached Cooper, asked him, what would you like to drink? And he says, bourbon and 7-Up. Yummy drink. She says, fine. But before she walks away, he slips her a note. She puts it in her pocket and leaves. She doesn't read it right away. And Cooper is concerned. And why didn't she read it right away? My translation, in 1971, flight attendants, they got hit on a lot. (laughs) They got got hit on by businessmen, uh, whoever, back then. I think they had a lot of notes slipped to them. So this was just another day. (laughs) So the stewardess didn't read it. He flags her down. Cooper's like, hey. Come here. She's like, ah, shit. 
This guy's going to hit on me again. Here we go. He's not hitting on her. He expresses his concern that, uh, Miss, you didn't read the note I gave you. I suggest you read it as soon as you can. So she does. She walks to the other end of the plane, sits down with another stewardess, gets the note out of her pocket, and reads it. And becomes concerned right away. And should be. Because in the note, it says, I have dynamite in my suitcase. This is no joke. I have demands that need to be met. You need to sit next to me as soon as possible. So she does. She gets up, walks over to Cooper, and sits down. She watches as he takes out the suitcase and opens it. And what she sees is red dynamite. The pilots are notified. Bing, bing, bong, bing. One of the passengers has a suitcase. And it said suitcase. It looks like dynamite. He's threatening to detonate it. He has demands that need to be met. So here we go. 30-minute flight now got interesting. But you have to remember this. The passengers, the other passengers on the flight, don't know they're hostages. They're just watching some mysterious guy in his 40s with sunglasses getting pampered by one of the flight attendants. The flight attendant sitting right next to him. Getting him drinks and lighting his cigarettes. And a college student sitting in the next aisle notices this. And is like, wow, that guy's got game. This pretty flight attendant taking care of him. So he looks over at Cooper often just to check out the situation. So he is sort of an interesting figure, even on this short flight. The pilots are notified of the demands. $200,000 and four parachutes. Hmm. So now the FBI are notified as well. They get the money together. But there's one little mistake that Cooper made. Now, he didn't make many. But he didn't tell the authorities what denominations to make the money. So they make that choice for him. And what they decided was the smart choice. 20s instead of hundreds. Why is it smart? Because it makes the bundle heavier. So whatever Cooper tries to do with this bundle... It now makes it a little more difficult. So I thought I'd point that out. They land in Seattle. 30-minute flight, done. The interesting Mr. Cooper. I don't know what to call him sometimes because although he put Mr. Cooper, I don't know. I want to call him something else. Like the mystery guy. But anyway, they land in Seattle. The hostages slash passengers are let off the plane as soon as DB gets his cash and the parachutes too. And they refuel the plane. So as they refuel the plane, the hostages are let off. The only odd thing in Seattle is that Cooper had the plane trolley onto the part of the runway that wasn't near the gate. 
So the passengers get off and have to walk. They didn't know they were hostages, but will soon. There's trouble refueling the plane. And the person or persons involved in the fueling process look up at the plane and see Mr. Cooper in his sunglasses looking down at them. And the guy remembers this in the dock. This guy's still alive and remembers that eerie look that Mr. Cooper gave him. And I don't know why that's so weird. It is. <laughs> this guy remembers that. This little face in, you know, those tiny little windows. I mean, how can they even see him? But hey, if they're fueling the plane, they're pretty close. And they see his face <laughs> looking down at him going, hey, when is this plane going to be fueled up? So they fuel the plane finally. That hiccup resolved. Passengers off. So all that's on the plane now are the pilots, one stewardess, Tina Mucklow, and Mr. Cooper. Here we go. Let's go on a trip. Let's go somewhere, DB says. Now, the destination he gives the pilots is too far away. And the pilots tell him, sir, your destination is too far. We don't have enough fuel. So they give him other options. One of them is Reno. He likes that option. Reno it is. Let's go to Reno. So they have a destination. They're back in the air. And for a moment, you have to realize the situation. The passengers got off the plane. Didn't know what was going on. It might have been a weird flight. But did they know their lives might be in danger? And now that they're off the plane and all that's left are a few people. And how heightened the anxiety was for the rest of the people on the plane now. Because they all know what's going on. And they don't know what's really going to happen. The four parachute request has the pilots concerned. They now think that this madman will have them jump out with him. And then blow up the plane. And that's interesting because that is a possibility. And why did D.B. Cooper ask for four parachutes? And I think I know the answer. Because all four of them have to work. Because they don't know if he's going to take the hostages or not. What are the chances you put a dud in there and Cooper is the one that takes the dud? You can't risk it. All the parachutes have to work. Four. Is he going to take them all with him? Or is he just going to use one for himself? And I think that's a brilliant move by Cooper. Brilliant. You don't ask for just one or two. I guess two would be okay. Uh, give him a dud. But, you know, if this guy knows what he's doing and I think he does, okay, he's going to know what a parachute looks like and one that works correctly. I don't know. I'm not a parachuter, but that's what I think. The pilots and the stewardess, you got to think about what they're going through here. And in the documentary, I love how they do this. The pilot is still alive, looking good, and talking about his experience. And he gets choked up. And he cries. Cooper affected people that night. 
Whether you want to believe it or not. And how fascinating the story is. How cool it is. Mysterious. Looking it up. And hoping this guy survived. Or got away with it. But that night. He scared the shit. Out of the pilots. And the stewardess. Tina. Was scarred. For life. When they finally got to the ground that night. After D.B. Cooper jumped. She believed he survived. And she also believed. That he kept tabs on her. Making sure she wouldn't say anything. Imagine that. And she believed it. That this guy. Was watching her. That's creepy. So as cool. As this whole story is. I really do think. It's important to. Acknowledge. How he affected people. That night. I mean this was a crazy. But brave stunt. And although. He may not have had any intentions. At all of hurting somebody. That night. When you do a feat like this. This stunt. There's always that chance. That someone could get hurt. It's always there. So as smart. As you think this guy is. He's really taking chances. He shouldn't. When you have lives on the line. You are no longer smart. But. Nobody got hurt. Psychologically they did. They did. But physically. They didn't. And I don't think that was never ever. His intention. What I find interesting. Is that the flight attendant. That sat next to him. On their way to Reno. Being confused. And wondering. What is this guy all about? I mean she even said. She sort of measured him up. To get a feel. For who this guy was. And why he was doing it. I mean she looked him up and down. Trying to figure him out. And even said a prayer for him. She said she said a prayer for herself. She said a prayer for the pilots. She then said a prayer for her family. And then she said a prayer for Cooper. And then asked him, why are you doing this? Do you have something against the airline? He looked at her and said, I don't have anything against the airline. I just have a grudge. (laughs) And the stewardess was so taken aback by how calm he was. He was calm. Confident. This guy. And I hate to say it. He had big balls. Big. Huge. Cojones. And although he drank. Three or four bourbons. And smoked about eight cigarettes. That night. He was pretty confident. He had a plan. He was checking the boxes. But the people around him didn't know what was going to happen. What is he going to do with that suitcase? Is it a real bomb? And if it is, oh my God, we could all die. I mean, who really knows what this maniac is going to do? A bomb is made for a reason. And that's to explode. 
The destination for Reno is set. Cooper now tells the pilots to go to 10,000 feet. So they do. And once they do that, Cooper now tells the stewardess to go up to the cockpit with the rest of the pilots. And she does. Closes the door and Cooper is now by himself at the end of the plane. The pilots pray. (laughs) Pray to God he doesn't detonate the bomb after he jumps because they have a feeling he's going to jump out of the butt of the plane the 727 plane at that time was the only plane that had this feature at the back of the plane a door could be lowered during the flight so that's what Cooper tells them lower the door at the back of the plane as you get to 10,000 feet and they do Now, if Cooper succeeds in jumping off the plane, they pray he takes that suitcase with him. Notifications go off to the pilots that the cabin pressure is changing dramatically. Is this maniac going to jump? Oh, yeah, he is. And he tries to. His first attempt doesn't work. They're going too fast. So he gets back on the plane and lets them know, Hey, slow down. (laughs) Excuse me. I'm trying to jump out of this plane here. You're going too fast. So they slow down. As soon as D.B. Cooper feels he can jump, he does. Folks, this man, he knew what he was doing. So that tells me he was involved with the Army Air Force, Special Forces. Uh, This guy's parachuted before. No doubt about it. That's not even a question. It's just how skilled he was. How skilled was this guy? Could he actually survive? The conditions that night, like I said before, they were shitty. Rain. uh, He couldn't have picked a worse night, in my opinion. Does this just make him stupid or... More brilliant. The fact that he's making such a difficult jump now makes it more difficult for people to find him. Think about it. We kind of want this guy to survive, right? It makes the story more interesting. So we're going to get back to the doc and cover a few things. And a few things I want to cover are the suspects that doc brings up. Now, the suspects they bring up are not all of them. They're just sort of maybe... Uh, The favorites of the doc. Now they're good suspects. No doubt about it. And we're going to talk about a few of them. Here we go. The most ridiculous one. By far. Is Barbara Dayton. And they're interviewing friends of hers. Now they're older now. And their names are. Pat and Ron. And their last names Foreman. They believe. Barbara Dayton. Was D.B. Cooper. Yes that's right. I said Barbara. Barbara was once a man. And it said that Barbara was the very first person to get a sex change in Washington. So, there you go. And the reason I think it's silly is not because she turned into a woman. Although, you know, that's just the way it was. Whatever. Uh, Robert does lo- looks nothing 
Nothing like Cooper, the sketch. Uh, Take a look, do your research on Robert Dayton and how he looked back in 1971 before he became a woman in the sketch. I don't see it. Uh, Did he disguise? Did he dye his hair? uh, Change uh, facially? And then, you know, when you put the sunglasses on, you do look different. And, I mean, he did eventually completely, you know, redo his image. I mean, he became a woman. So, that's that's really changing your image. So, is that a skill of Robert's? I don't know. I don't think he looks anything. Even if he did dye his hair and change things up a little bit. Maybe makeup. I don't know. Uh, Witnesses say D.B. Cooper was uh, olive oil skin. Uh, So, either... Uh, he tanned before then, uh, put makeup on, or had a nationality that had a darker complexion. I don't know. That's another mystery, too, is how much did Cooper uh, sort of spruce himself up to do this, to change his appearance so he would look different from what he really looked like? So that's something to think about. But in this case, I just, he doesn't look anything like DB. So for that reason, and also I think that Barbara, although a very skilled pilot, okay, uh, in checking boxes, like any other suspect would, I I think she believed she might have been Cooper, but I think deep down, she knew she wasn't. And she was spinning the yarn. Sort of making herself feel important. I I think that uh, Barbara slash Robert had a few issues. Uh, I think that's safe to say. But a suspect I crossed off. Don't believe it. Before I move on to my next suspect, I have to point out that in the dock, they made Barbara creepy. They did. Now, uh, they did that for a reason. Okay. To make this, this suspect eerie. But why? Why did they do that? I mean, they did. I mean, I got that. When they showed Barbara in the images they showed, I felt they were a bit creepy. I mean, what do you think if you watch the doc? And after you hear my show and you go and watch the doc, I like your opinion on that. I don't know why. Uh, And I thought that was interesting. And you like feeling that way in a doc. A doc will take you somewhere that you don't suspect sometimes. So I got that vibe in this part of the dock. Let me hear what you think about that. And also, before we move on. In the dock, they show a newspaper heading about the interest of Barbara Dayton being D.B. Cooper. And in the headline, they put, Could Cooper be a woman? My response? No. The next suspect in the dock, L.D. Cooper. And we have his niece, Marla Cooper, in the dock with this smirk telling us that her uncle was DB. No doubt about it. Uh, Book it. (laughs) uh, Hey, you know, that's just the way it is. And they say, how do you know? And she says, well, my family knew about it. They kept it a secret. And I remember back then how strange things were. You know, I kind of tucked it away. But I know. Through time, that my uncle, LD, 
with D.B. Cooper. And I was fascinated by this story. I looked up this L.D. Cooper guy. And as I'm looking up L.D. Cooper, I'm going into his past, trying to find out about his family. And he was mysterious. There's no doubt about it. And he was also a skilled parachutist. Was in the military. All that stuff. Checking boxes. Left and right. I'm going, hmm. I could buy it. But then I I realized. (laughs) Would this guy, as smart as he is, and I truly believe whoever Cooper is, he was a smart guy. Right? Would he really use his name? His own name, his real name, as he walked up that night looking at the receptionist or the person that took his money and gave him his ticket. Did he really look at her and say, my name is Cooper. That's my real name. And then moments later, decide to ask for $200,000, hijack a plane and jump from the butt of the plane. I mean, really? Is that what we're saying? Marla? Marla? Marla, sit, have a seat. Marla, have a seat. Listen, is interesting, a suspect, as your uncle is, and he is. I felt him to be a really good suspect, and I do. But what are the chances he'd actually use his real name? Think about it. Explain that to me. He's that cocky, that confident, that I'm going to use my real name and get away with it. Folks, no way. I, I know when I really thought about it, I went, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. That guy ain't that stupid. He ain't that stupid. Or ballsy. I mean, mind you, he's pretty ballsy, this guy. I mean, but that ballsy? I'm Xing off that suspect. Eh, eh, eh. <laughs> Taking a bit of a break from the suspects. The doc presents us with a character. And this character is going to explain to us, the audience, that the terrain below where Cooper jumped into was so rough, so tough, so challenging that there is no way in hell, in heaven or hell, that any man alive could survive. Now, mind you, this man, this older gentleman, has been around and he knows the area. He's a military background. He's an outdoor guy. And they ask him, sir, sir, if DB Cooper fell out of that plane, jumped out, parachuted, whatever, and hit this terrain, could he survive? And he says, no. And they say, how do you know? And he explains, I just know. Um, that's an opinion. And he may really believe that. That this guy couldn't survive. But I'm thinking. There's always that slim chance. Am I right? I mean. D.B. Cooper could have hit land. And yeah. It could have been rough. But what if he braved through it? It might have taken him a few days. To get through it. But. It's possible. And I don't like how the doc says it's not. Because it is. This guy could have survived. And that's a possibility. There's no doubt about that. This mystery wouldn't exist without that. 
no body, no parachute, there's a chance he got away. So don't tell me (laughs) it's impossible because it's not. Our next suspect is a great suspect. And his name is Richard Floyd McCoy. The real McCoy, the guy who actually did it after Cooper did. Was he Cooper though? Did Cooper do it once the night before Thanksgiving, 1971, and then do it a little afterwards again? Is McCoy Cooper? Is it possible? Hell yeah, it is. It is. Now, did he do it twice? Because that's the question here. Was he that brave and good at what he was doing? That after he did it the first time, felt, I fucked up somewhere. I did this wrong. I'm going to do it again and for more money. Because that's what Richard McCoy did. Instead of 200000 he asked for 500000 Got the money. Did almost exactly step by step that Cooper did. Jumped out of the plane and got away. But then someone snitched on him. A buddy of his. A buddy of his felt, I think my uh, friend Richard hijacked that plane. Gave the information to the authorities. And Mr. McCoy was caught only a few days after his jump. They went to his house, searched it, found the money, and went, you dumbass. (laughs) He was arrested, put in prison, and uh, he escaped shortly after that. They caught him, brought him back to prison... And then he escaped again. This was a very interesting suspect. And he didn't get away with it, folks. Okay. Uh, They caught up to him a short time after he escaped for the second time. And he died in a shootout. And in the dock, they interview the guy that shot him. They found him in a house. And there was a shootout. And the authorities shot and killed McCoy. And they asked the guy in the dock, what did it feel like to shoot McCoy? Can you tell us about that? The guy just blankly looks at the camera. says, that's my job. How do I feel about it? I shot a guy. That's what you do. These are cocky, uh, confident men. Okay, Uh, I could never be somebody like Cooper. I'm afraid of heights. I could never be somebody in the FBI shooting people. That's my job. Wow, I love docs like this. And you get to see how people react to certain situations. For example, the pilot getting choked up. The, uh, I always want to say waitress, but the flight attendants and how they felt about being on that plane with Cooper and how that affected them and how it still affects them today. Getting uh, misty-eyed, getting that thing in your throat and when you get upset, you know, it, you you're trying to hold back that cry. I mean, that's what Cooper did to them that night. And think about what McCoy did on his jump. He scared the living fuck out of everybody on that plane that he hijacked. I mean, what the hell was going on in 1971? What were they smoking? They were smoking a lot. Hmm. <laughs> <clears throat> But what do I think about McCoy? 
as great of a suspect he is. And he is. No. His picture was shown to uh, the stewardess, Tina McLeod. She looked at his picture and went, no, that's not him. So I'm going to cross him off. If anybody's going to know, it's her. And she said almost immediately, after looking at his picture, that's not him. So we're going to cross off Richard McCoy. And a very good suspect, very brave man. I mean, he actually did it. So props to Rich, but not Cooper. The final suspect in the documentary is introduced to us. And his name was Dwayne Weber. They're talking to his wife. Now, Dwayne is gone. So we get to see the wife. And her name is Joe, I think. Yeah. Joe Weber. She's quirky. She's weird. And, oh, she believes it. She believes it. She's got letters. She's got memories. Oh, my husband. He was such an interesting guy. Mysterious. Untrustworthy. Uh, He'd been to prison. He lied a lot. All this stuff. And Dwayne is shady. And Dwayne is weird. <laughs> and look who he married in the doc. Uh, she was weird. Okay. And the things that came out of her, I just didn't believe them. I don't believe you, Joe. And she has some guy found her around who believes that uh, this Dwayne guy's Cooper. I mean, he believes it too. And they ask him in the doc, you know, there are other people out there. Okay. That have their favorite suspect. And they'll go to the grave saying that he's their guy. So what makes you different? Yeah. So what makes you different? And he explains that, yeah, that's true. I I believe that Dwayne did it. Uh, and the people, other people believe that their suspect did it. So uh, then who is it? And Dwayne, there's a story that uh, the wife, Joe, uh, caught him doing suspicious behavior. Uh, at one point said that uh, he searched for the money he hid. Okay. And, and, and dug it up. And he's covered in mud. Dancing around. She took pictures of it. And then there was some money he couldn't use. Right. So he put it in a bag. And he threw it in the lake or the river. And he just. He took Joe with her. Him. Sorry. And they went to the side of the river and he throws the money he can't use into the river and watches it, uh, you know, float away. And Joe Weber, the wife, scolds him. How dare you litter? Right, this lady. This lady is hilarious. She is hilarious. You know how there's certain people you just look at? You go, yeah. Well, Joe Weber in this doc is one of those people. I look at her and I go, no, no, no. And there are a lot of people that find Dwayne Weber to be a great suspect. Um, and Joe Weber is not the only one for sure. Um, but no, I did research on all these guys. I did. I can't get into all the research I did. I, I did a lot of reading. Um, doing just research on the family history, um, what surrounded these people, not only in their past, which is fascinating. I do that in my show. If you listen to this show, 
You know that's one of my most favorite things to do. I look up their yearbooks. I look, I do. I look up, you know, where they grew up as a kid. You know, were their parents together? How many brothers did they have and sisters? Where they went to school? What was their education? Kind of what they're about. And all these suspects definitely have shady behavior. I mean, taking a, a step back to L.D. Cooper, right? I mean, after the hijacking, he was hardly heard from again. But the family kind of knew. But he was just gone. And that's why some of these people are interesting to put into a category where you could go, okay, that's suspicious behavior. So they could be Cooper. But how could there be so many? And there are. There's a handful of suspects, and they're good suspects. Dwayne Weber, maybe. But right now, I'm going to give the audience who I think could be Cooper. I'm not saying he is, but for me, my most favorite suspect was not talked about in the doc. And his name is William Gossett. Now, he is a suspect, but he's not talked about that much. He's there. You can look him up. But folks, there are boxes he checks that cannot be denied. There are a few question marks, just like any suspect. But William Gossett was one fascinating son of a bitch. (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about this guy. All right. What did this guy do? Well, at the age of 15, he ran away from home. He joined the military. He was involved in World War II, the Korean War, and Vietnam. Two tours in Vietnam. So after his military experience, which was vast, it was. How many people do you know were in World War II, the Korean War, and Vietnam? Two tours. Not many. So he's brave. Um, From what my research tells me, he was in special forces, getting a lot of experience, and jumping out of planes. After that, he becomes a police officer. And this was right around the time, okay, that the hijack happened. After he was a police officer, he joined a law firm and became an attorney. And when he was done with that, uh, he became a priest, a Catholic priest. He wasn't done yet. He also became a talk show host, a ghostbuster, and performed exorcisms. I'm not making this shit up. Uh, This guy had uh, many interests and did crazy weird things. Restless, but smart. Uh, Stupid people don't become police officers, attorneys, and priests. And then perform exorcisms? (laughs) the hell was this guy doing he was doing a lot of stuff he was arrogant and i heard an interview his son gave about three years ago on a talk show 
his son's name is Greg. Uh, William Gossett had four sons, and one of them, Greg, gave an interview. And he explained what made his dad tick. And what did make William tick? Well, he set aside his sons one by one at different periods of time. And from what I gather, William took his sons aside when they turned 21, each of them. And Greg says, on my 21st birthday, my dad took me into his office, sat me down. Uh, Greg, I have to tell you something. Have you heard of D.B. Cooper? Greg says, I think so. Didn't he rob a bank? And William says, kind of. And then he explained exactly what was going on. And afterwards, Greg said he opened a file cabinet filled with D.B. Cooper stuff, information, papers, pictures. And one of them was the sketch. William got the sketch out, showed his son, said, does that look like anybody to you? And the son said, yeah, a little bit. Kind of looks like you. He's like, Dad, wait a minute. Whoa. Are you telling me you're D.B. Cooper? That's bullshit. William looked at him and said, all right, fine. I'm not D.B. Cooper. And then Greg's like, wait a minute. Are you telling me you're D.B. Cooper? Because if you are, that's crazy. Dad, come on. And William said, if you believe it, believe it, but don't tell anybody. I had to tell you, I had to tell somebody, and it's your 21st birthday, and I think you had a right to know. What I gather from this encounter is that William was that guy. And I'm not saying he straight up lied a lot, but he embellished stories. He wanted to be that person, boasting, saying all the things he did. Uh, Whether or not he was insecure doesn't matter. He was a boaster. And it was driving him nuts. If he was D.B. Cooper, that he couldn't tell anybody. So he told his sons and made them promise not even to tell their mother. Don't even tell your mom, he said. Take it to the grave, son. But you and I know it's just between us, right? So Greg tucked it away. And maybe didn't realize just how important this story was because he really didn't know every detail. So it was years later, after his dad passed, Greg was listening to a radio station and they had a guest talking about D.B. Cooper. And all the memories came back. Oh my God, they're talking about D.B. Cooper, my dad's story. Is my dad really Cooper? I mean, do I believe this? And the person on the radio said, if you have any information out there, those who listen to the show, contact me. We'll talk. Give me a call. So Greg did. He figured my dad's dead. I wonder if there's anything to this. I'm interested. He called this guy up that was on the show. His name was Galen Cook, an attorney. And this attorney was interested in D.B. Cooper doing research and wanting to find out who was this guy. So when Greg called and gave information, this attorney was like, hey, I get 19 calls a day. I get phone calls all the time. 
I'm not taking you seriously. Sorry. And Greg's like, that's fine. I understand. If I, if I could do anything for you, I'd like to send you a picture of my dad in 1970. Can I do that? So Galen said, sure, fine. So he did. When Galen received the picture, he changed his tune. And I mean, he changed it right away. He now chewed the son's ear off, Greg, with phone calls, meetings, lunches, dinners, whatever, trying to get every bit of information out of Greg about his dad, that there was this chance that the D.B. Cooper mystery could be solved. So Greg did. He talked to Galen, gave him all the information, and was intrigued with the notion that my dad could actually be Cooper. I mean, is it true? The attorney quit his practice and dedicated his time to proving that William Gossett is Cooper. Now, I mean, this isn't a newsflash. And like I explained before, there are many people that have their suspect. He's the guy. I can prove it or I know it inside. Well, Galen Cook and William's son, Greg, feel like they're on to something with all the information they're acquiring and the things that Greg has told Galen, the attorney, they're putting together a puzzle and I'm going to go ahead and reveal their, I don't want to call them clues or information about William that make him the best suspect for me and them, all of us. <laughs> So let's go ahead and touch on some of the things that make William the best suspect for me. William changed his name to Wolfgang shortly after the hijacking. He was having difficulties in his personal life at the time, uh, separated from his wife. And the kids, when they were small, remember a turbulent time. And Greg says he doesn't remember Thanksgiving that year. But he does remember Christmas at the age of four. His dad came in with a trench coat and revealed to to his son, Greg, bundles of cash. Now, I'm going to start off this this clue with a question mark. And then we're going to move on. Because Greg says he remembers the bundle. And they were hundreds. Uh Uh-oh, Greg, Greg. (laughs) That would be wrong. Remember. The authorities put hundreds into Cooper's case, not 20s, but a four-year-old could have information and memories lost, skewed, different. And we're talking about four years old here. They could have been 20s, but maybe Greg remembers them as hundreds. They were 20s, Greg. So if Greg goes to the grave believing they were hundreds, then I got a big problem with Greg's story. Now, it doesn't mean that William isn't a good suspect anymore because the next set of clues I'm going to give you will explain why. And maybe Greg just, you know, uh, doesn't remember correctly on the denominations of the money. But I do find it interesting that at that time, Just a month after the hijacking, Mr. Gossett 
is showing his son money. Money he didn't have. More evidence. Greg explains that the wife would take William out in the middle of nowhere, drop him off, and he'd be gone for weeks, traveling hundreds of miles, and then get picked up down the road. What was he doing on these little excursions? He liked to get away. He liked to live out in the rough, survive it. So it goes to show you, if he was Cooper, he could have maybe survived the rough terrain. The son, Greg, also explains that he had a bit of DNA evidence from his dad he gave the FBI to do research on, on things that were found in the plane. Uh, It is said that the cup that D.B. Cooper used on the plane to drink his bourbon was sort of lost in the other cups on the plane. So they really can't use that evidence, or could they? It's also a mystery on whether the cigarette butts were retrieved and studied. Now, this is only known by the FBI. But what bit of evidence does the FBI have where they can study it against other suspects? And Greg said, he asked him, well, what did you find out about my dad's DNA? Did you find any of it in your evidence? And the answer they gave Greg was very suspicious. They said it might be a coincidence. We can't say for sure. That your dad probably used something on that plane that was found on another flight. That sets off freaking alarm bells for me. And a little creepy. Is there a link between William Gossett and his DNA to something on that plane that D.B. Cooper was on? And if that's true, I mean, wow. Wow. That's big. If that's true. Now, this is coming from Greg. And, you know, we take that with a grain of salt. Did that really happen? Can that be proven? I don't know. (laughs) Another fascinating story that involves the FBI slash CIA is that William would do special assignments for the government. And one of them involves the Maharishi, the cult that he was involved in back in the day. And if you watch the documentary called Wild Wild Country, it's all about that. How this Maharishi had a cult and it was all messed up and they had compounds in America. Well, the story is that one of the cult members had family in the FBI and the family's all concerned. Like, God, we got to get her out of this cult. Got to get her out. So I don't know if William volunteered or they special assigned him to this case. Now, this is what William had to do. He had to infiltrate the cult. So from what I gather, William joined the cult, got in the compound, mingled, got familiar with everybody, learned who the, uh, the, the woman was that needed to get the hell out of there and got her out. He helped the FBI get a family member out. This is the sort of stuff Mr. Gossett was doing, helping the government. So, what if by chance, 
The FBI investigating Cooper, getting evidence, putting stories together. Find out that Cooper was William Gossett. Oh, you know, the guy that helped out the FBI. And how the hell do we explain that to the public? Did Gossett sort of have an in with the government? Therefore, never having him be exposed because it would humiliate all those involved. Is that possible? Or is it just a story? Hmm. This William guy has a lot of stories. For instance, during a point in his military career, Mr. Gossett was stationed in France. Now, he spent a considerable time there, picking up the language and its customs. There was a very popular comic strip at the time in France. The comic strip was called, get this, Dan Cooper. And what did Dan Cooper comic strip do? Did daredevil things like hijacking a plane and jumping from it. This was before the hijacking, folks. Before. This was mentioned to Greg in the interview he gave. And they asked him, do you know that your dad was stationed in France? And he said, yeah, yeah, I remember that. My dad telling me. And he goes, mind you, uh, I was petrified of my dad. That's what he said, Greg. He goes, all my life, I was petrified of my dad. He was just that guy. And he didn't really reveal what he did in the army, the air force, the military work. It was all sort of hush, hush. He didn't talk about it. He talked about a lot of other stuff, but all his military stuff was very hush, hush. And he remembered that his dad stayed in France and he remembered his dad would try to flatter women with his French, calling them beautiful and reciting certain things in French because it's sexy and it's impressive. Greg said that he didn't believe his father was fluent in French. He just knew certain sayings. But he could speak French a little bit. And he could read a little bit in French. Did Bill, William Gossett, Wolfgang, whoever you want to call him, priest, cop, attorney, ghostbuster, (laughs) use the comic strip of Dan Cooper for the hijacking. I mean, that's a weird coincidence. And one of the most fascinating pieces of information about William Cooper and a reason why you would use that name, Dan Cooper. Look it up. It's weird. Now, there is a rumor That the money that Cooper stole really wasn't used. This money was marked. Cooper knew it. Okay. Cooper wasn't stupid. And when you ask for $200,000, the people that put it together, the government, are going to mark it. So if you spend it wherever in America, it could be traced. Where's the money? And did he tuck away some of it as a diversion on Tina Bay? Because 
some of his money, Cooper's money, was found in Tina Bay by a kid in 1980, nine years after the hijacking. There are experts that say that that money did not float to that destination after the hijacking. It was in a layer of ground that didn't make sense for that to happen. So that tells me that money was buried and it was buried as a diversion. I think he survived. Now, I put, might put money down and he didn't, but something's telling me this guy did it. He made it. So where's the money? Rumor has it. It's somewhere in Canada. This money, the D.B. Cooper money, marked money, about, what, $190,000 around there. William Gossett took his son out to Canada, while he was alive, of course, on a trip. Sort of a bonding thing with the son. His son was excited, boasting to his friends, my dad and I are going to Canada, we're going to hunt, fish, spend some time. It's going to be fantastic. Because William really didn't do that with his kids. So he was flattered, his dad asked him. They went out to Canada and the son said they went a weird way, backroading it taking buses, trains, whatnot. And when they got there, the first thing that William did was drop off his son at the hotel and disappear for two hours. When he got back, he told his son the trip was over and it was time to go. And his son remembered that his dad had a black case with him, a bag. And the bag was gone. Dad, why do we have to leave? And William said, oh, it's a change of plans. Let's go. The son was crushed. He had to face his friends and tell them, we didn't go fishing. What are you doing up there, William? Is there money in Canada? And I've been back and forth with someone that has written about this case and has done research on Gossett. We have gone back and forth last week on information. He has knowledge, and I was chewing his ear off. He told me that Galen Cook, the attorney who believes that Gossett is Cooper, has some sort of uh, secretive information that hasn't been released yet. And this guy I've been conversing with says that he knows what it is, but he can't reveal it to me. But he did say it involves something where... Uh, Another country, not America, has something and it's hard for us to gain the knowledge or to release this information. That tells me I think it's Canada. Something's going on there. And does Galen Cook know that this bit of information could break the case? I mean, is there money that can link us to gossip and in the process reveal the marked bills will it ever be told can Galen Cook get his hand on this money if it exists any other information on William this fascinating suspect let's see here Yes, yes. The last bit of info before I end it. I know. 
It's a long show. I hope it is a good one. The last bit of information and Mr. Gossett that I found very, very eerie. His son Greg said he remembers his dad was fascinated and always had road flares around for doing certain things. Why is that important, Jeff? Road flares. Who gives a shit? Road flares are red. Correct? In the suitcase for Mr. Cooper on the plane. When he opened it and revealed what was inside. Saying it was dynamite. The stewardess remembers that the dynamite was red. Ladies and gentlemen, dynamite is gray. Is it possible? William Gossett. Put road flares in his suitcase, not dynamite. Road flares look like dynamite, but they're not. They're red. And you look at all those uh, cartoons when we were kids, right? Dynamite was always red. Wiley Coyote, Bugs Bunny, and all of them, their, their dynamite was red. They lit it, exploded, red. Dynamite, real dynamite, is gray. Stewardess didn't know that. And is that a little bit of information that people just don't think about? That went over some of the heads of the people involved, authorities or whatnot. Or do they know? Do the authorities and FBI know that William Gossett was D.B. Cooper? And they will never reveal it because it just would be too embarrassing or there'd be information released they don't want out folks this is one of the most fascinating documentaries slash mysteries i've ever read up on i love this story and i hope you enjoyed the show it was a bit long i hope you enjoyed it and there it is this is the actor's room and every now and then i do a doc or a mystery and i talk about it i hope everybody out there is doing good May you enjoy the rest of your day. Sit back, relax, and enjoy that movie. Spend time with the family. Spend time with your significant other. And enjoy your flick. (laughs) I didn't know what to say there. Enjoy your flick. Enjoy your show. Uh, Talk about it with your family afterwards. I've been watching a lot of mystery shows. Hitchcock, things like that. Uh, Hitchcock hits or misses. Uh, Dial M for Murder was amazing. And then I watched North by Northwest and fell asleep. I don't know what it is about Hitchcock. Either he hits them out of the park. Psycho, Vertigo, Dial M for Murder. And then he completely swings and misses with me. He just does. I can't explain it. I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to explain. But thank you for listening. Uh, my name's Jeff Tarowski. Always support the show. Go on to iTunes. Leave comments and reviews. Please go on the website. Support the show. www.theactorsroom.lipson.com. I got a Facebook page. I have a Twitter account. And I have an Instagram account. So check that out. 
Always check out my other shows. I do other fascinating stories, actors, actresses, or films. Anything that grabs me entertainment-wise, I'll talk about it. So if you have any suggestions, please let me know. And I'm not going to guarantee I do them. I'll look into them. And if I feel I can put a good story to it, I'll do it. Um, So please give me that. And that's it. May God bless you. Have a good one.